Welcome to episode one of Get the Word with Mike and Alexandra. We are going to talk about picking apart the English language, uh, looking at etymology, that is the history of words and the connections that we can make uh, with modern history and uh, other historical periods. I will be releasing these from time to time on uh, the podcast, but also on the Patreon. Patreon supporters will get exclusive episodes of Get the Word. I really hope you enjoy this. It was a lot of fun to pick apart these words. I gained some keen insight from Alexandra, who is not only my girlfriend's, but uh, a PhD candidate through the University of Arizona in anthropology. So she brought uh, an interesting look uh, into uh, this the discussion of language, and uh, we will have many more discussions going forward. Uh, right into the podcast, Mike at EnglishSessionsWithMike.com, or reach out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter with any suggestions. Are there any words that you want us to pick apart? Do you want to get the word, meaning understand the word? Uh, this is... Uh, of course, an English learning podcast, but these episodes of Get the Word are definitely for advanced and even fluent speakers. I hope uh, this is an interesting conversation for fluent and native English speakers as well. Uh, if you have any questions, write in and thank you for your support. <music> Hello, everyone. This is uh, the first part of a series of episodes, primarily uh, maybe half and half uh, are going to be on the podcast, half on uh, the Patreon. I'm going to record these with my lovely girlfriend, Alexandra. 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 Okay, she normally goes by a different name, but I don't want to set off a bunch of... uh, devices in everybody's homes of, of all, our, all our listeners. Um, this is going to be more for advanced learners and, and also just any native speakers who are interested in etymology. Uh, I've explained in the podcast before, it's kind of my ner- nerdy hobby, and Alexandra has an interest too. She's been helping me out a lot with this podcast. And uh, these past couple of weeks, been, we've been talking about homage and uh, tribute what what were we watching just last night um, that mentioned one of those words? We were watching I, Claudius. Right, right. An old uh, BBC miniseries from the 1970s about ancient Rome. We'll probably uh, get into uh, the use of that um, that word. Obviously, in ancient Rome, they weren't using that word in English, but perhaps the word does have a tie to Latin. Or is it because homage does? Are, are you asking me? Yes. Yes, it does okay. have a time. Okay. Yes. All right. So who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, why don't you go first? Okay. Okay. So I did homage or homage. I'm going to get into that too. We talked about that on one of the podcast episodes. Um, oh, what do I want to mention first? Okay. So uh, I used a couple sources and I'm going to put my notes up on the podcast. I don't know if, if you want to, Alexandra. Uh, but I just figured we'd, we'd we'd post, I'd at least post mine. I have a few links. Uh, Edamonline, that's E-T-I-M-O-N-L-I-N-E dot com, uh, is a really helpful resource. It's kind of like a jumping off point for me. Um, according to that website, the earliest use is 12th century English. Um, and this word has changed in meaning quite a bit. Um, if we kind of break apart... Uh, the uh, the syllables homo, or the first syllable of this, is related to homo, Latin, just man, you know. So that, that kind of seems obvious in a way once I finish the definition of it. Back then, um, it was a word that much more meant just um, related to or concerned with the relationship between uh, a feudal lord and a vassal. And I just want to make sure everybody knows what a vassal is. That's a holder of land. It's a word that we don't really use very much uh, in modern English anymore. At least I never really hear it. 
um, but it's someone who was given land, ultimately. Um, a holder of land by feudal tenure on conditions of homage and allegiance. Now, this is where I thought it got pretty interesting. One, those, Some of those earliest definitions um, had to do specifically with a ceremony that this person, the vassal, um, would perform in which it, in which the vassal would declare himself the Lord's man. So it's literally saying, like, I am the man of this Lord. Um, and this is the celebration that I'm going to uh, perform to prove to you that I'm worth your land. Um, I have a, a more to say about that because I, I, I kind of went into um, the feudal state in England at the time. Um, but back to the to the word itself. So it's tied to vassal. It's tied to, uh, you know, this relationship of power. Um, and so the the, ter- the way that we use it more often now, um, it's modern use didn't come around until, let me make sure. Um, I think it said the 14th or 15th century. Um, yes, uh, the figurative sense in, in which in the way we use it now is um, honor shown, just like Reno uh, pointed out and a, a couple other students too, from the late 14th century. So it still really dates back pretty far, um, just that more, that broader sense of just showing respect or honor to someone. But that that idea of ceremony is still pretty very much tied into it. Wouldn't you agree you know, like if we pay homage to someone, that's or pay, yeah, pay homage. Um, it's typically some sort of ceremonial thing, or you know, there's some sort of reverence. Well, you also have, um, you know, works of art, film, music. They can pay homage to a previous work in adopting a style or something. So that's not necessarily ceremonial. Right. Very true. Very, very good point. Um, okay, and so I, I, I kind of wanted to do more of a, de- a deeper dive on... So we know homo is man. That And the ending, the A-G-E, we see a lot of that uh, with French words related to English. Um, I wrote down a couple of them, like fuselage, for example. Um, sabotage. There's, there's a lot of words that have that ending, and I, I was just curious, like, is that just an, an, a noun ending, or, or do you happen to know? The uh, hi- I don't know. Um, fuselage, sabotage. Right. Did you mention one more? Um, no, no, I didn't. Uh, Homage. It's not act of. I mean, sabotage, that's an act of saboteuring or whatever. Right, it's still it's still a noun though. Right. Well, yeah. I'm just thinking if the ag, you know how some suffixes turn something into a noun because fusel. Well, I guess fuselage. What would the verb be for fuselage? I'm not sure, but I looked I looked into this word a little bit because it is related to um body. I thought I wrote this down. Okay, here we go. Le fuselage. It can translate as the fuselage, like how we use it on a plane, mm-hmm. which is what? Just like the the main body of the plane, pretty right, much, right? Right. Um, but it also, according to the translator that I used, can translate to body. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's related at all. Um, if any French learners are listening uh, or anyone who knows any more about this, I, I just thought that was really interesting. I also wrote down the, the definition of um, a French term, homme. How would H-O-M-M-E? Homme? I think it's homme. Okay. Homme vassal. V-A-S-S-A-L. Can translate to liege, which is a liege is concerned with or relating to a relationship between a feudal superior and a vassal. Um, But again, that homme related to body. There's like a lot of ownership of, I don't know, mentioning of um, a man, I guess. Like, yeah. So it's relationship between a man um, I guess that doesn't, <laughs> but it's all, it's all tied in. Um, and so then I think that word came first and then, uh, you, you saw the word amateur pop up, which is a vassal. So like you had that term vassal, but then, you know, this became a big part of the, you know, uh, the, the, the structure, I guess, of the feudal state. 
So like the E-R-O-R suffix meaning a person who. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, painter. Uh, actor. Actor. Podcaster. What would you Amager. Say? Amager. Yeah, amager. Yeah. Um, so homage, homage. Um, we, I mentioned, I think the first time I mentioned this word, I hope I at least said that it's often without uh, the H sound, but that, that is an accepted um, pronunciation. Um, okay, so I have a lot more. Okay. <laughs> Should I keep going or do you want to? Um, maybe I'll jump in with tribute, so the kind of basic definition and etymology, because I'm seeing some interesting links um, and how similarities mm-hmm. with homage. Uh, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you have more, to talk just about. Just more of the more. history. More of the, the history of feudal states. Oh, okay. Stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot of history. Um, all right, so tribute. Uh, I thought I would start with the definition I found. I believe this is the Oxford Dictionary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just blanked on the name of the most important dictionary in proper English speaking. So the Oxford Dictionary definition for tribute. Uh, The first one is an act, statement, or gift that is intended to show gratitude, respect, or admiration. And that's how we typically understand tribute in modern usage. Um, So, uh, you know, an ABBA tribute band is one example they gave. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right, right, right. Or paying tribute to someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the second one is historical. Payment made periodically by one state or ruler to another, especially as a sign of dependence. And then the third one, also historical, which I didn't really look into. I think this would be an interesting thing to look into, but it didn't have a lot, I think, to inform this discussion. A proportion of ore or its equivalent paid to a miner for his work or to the owner or lesser of a mine. That's very specific. It's very specific. And huh. I think it comes out a lot later than these other. So all these other uses of the word tribute developed before this one did, and it, it's an industry term is what yeah, it seems like. Yeah. But it's interesting. Um, as far as the etymology, uh, like so many of our words, uh, can be traced back to Latin, uh, tributum, uh, which is tribute, a stated payment, a thing contributed or paid. We can trace the word to the Latin tributum, Um, And for a long time, it was used in that historical sense, um, a stated sum of money or other valuable consideration paid by one ruler or country to another in acknowledgement of submission or as the price of peace or protection. The price of peace. Mm -hmm. And so when we watched I, Claudius last night, and I got really excited because they mentioned the word tribute, and I poked you, and you're like, God, because shut up. Because we're big nerds. Because we're big nerds. nerds. They were talking about um, conquering the German tribes um, and exacting tribute from them. So that is, as the price of having been conquered and been, been made part of the Roman Empire, these other groups of people now needed to pay them. Uh, money, uh, but it could also be goods, you know, like, I don't know, sheep or mm-hmm. chickens. Yeah. Uh, or or. Or or. <laughs> yes. Any yeah. of those things. Uh, anything valuable. Right. Um, and so a tribute was then a system used by a lot of civilizations um, in order to gain protection uh, maybe as a form of allyship where you would mm. submit to the um, the supremacy of another nation state hmm. or another group. Uh, and we see this way far back all over the world. Like I saw examples from China and um, Mesopotamia, Babylonian civilizations, too many histories to kind of go down that rabbit hole. Um, 
So it's interesting that both words that have, and I explained in the podcast, have very different backgrounds, have a similar history in that they're both tied to some sort of uh, hierarchy of, of, of power mm-hmm. and the lower ranks of those uh, the, that power uh, structure showing respect mm-hmm. and either homage, you know, like um, showing the ceremony, showing that, like proving that I can be your man that, that can tend to this land or yeah. in in, in tribute, like uh, a, a, a country that's been, I guess like that Germany and, 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 and Rome, um, example would be because at that time Rome was uh, or the dominant power over mm-hmm. Germany, right? Right. Yeah. And so um, I think what's important with tribute is that there is an element of coercion historically um, because of the dominance of one over the other, um, whether it's violent coercion as they talked about in I, Claudius last night, mm. or uh, coercion in the form of seeking protection or mm. the threat of violence. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. So you pointed out how they have a similarity. Um, and I just want to make a quick side note. So according to my research online, um, the sense of offering, gift, or token is first recorded in the 1580s. Mm. So... First, you have this kind of nation-state use of tribute. It's political, it's economic. And then it starts to uh, spread or blur the lines of how that word is used um, in the 1500s at some point. Um, And you have something that perhaps is not coercive or at least uh, obviously coercive and offering a gift or token uh, and I wasn't able to find it at what point it becomes figurative to hmm. the way we know it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to talk about how I see tribute differing from homage. So they both play into systems of power yeah. and of a more submissive entity um, paying up towards a dominant entity. Yeah, it's funny. We still use it that way. Pay. Yeah. yeah. That's the point that I wanted to make later, uh, but we can make it now, is that um, you can. it's really obvious how paying tribute, how we use the word now, is a figurative use of paying literal tribute, you know, because yeah. we still use that word pay for both, pay homage, pay tribute. Even though, from what I can gather, the way homage used to be used, there. I didn't see any actual like monetary exchange. It was like a, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because let me read that definition again um, uh, of, yeah, the original use of the word denoted the ceremony by which a vassal declared himself to be his Lord's man. So it it actually first related to the ceremony. Mm Mm-hmm. It, but it's interesting, yeah, that now in, in modern English usage, we say pay homage or, or homage or pay tribute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've kind of started to coincide yeah. as far as meaning. Um, although I think that we could probably talk about some fine, um, oh, what's that word? That connotations mm-hmm. to using homage versus tribute. Hmm. And when one is used, when the other one isn't, like a tribute band, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so the part that I found really interesting, I kind of dove into was, uh, and we had just mentioned this before starting recording, um, is what is the etymology of Roman words? Right. Right. So a lot of times we trace uh, English words back to Latin and then kind of stop there we're like oh we found the origin but clearly their words had to have come from somewhere right so uh tribute which comes from the latin tributum um when i did my research i was a little confused uh and there seems to be a double and or contested origin or meaning to that Latin word. Hmm. Um, 
So I saw a source that talked about tributum or trib as pay, to pay. Or I maybe tribere, I'm not sure. You might mm-hmm. want to edit that part out <laughs> where I start to make up Latin words. That verb would be like the to way pay. you just... You... Yeah, to pay, uh, to allot, to assign, to grant. Oh, noun use of the neuter of tributus. There, I just saw my notes. Tribuere, to pay, assign, grant. Um, but um, there also seems to be some kind of link to the idea of tribe. Hmm. And tributary, I just checked. Sorry, go on. Way to steal my thunder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, uh, which the Latin for that, I guess, is tribus or tribus. Um, And so you can also talk about this idea of a lot among the tribes or to a tribe. So where does tribe come from? Oh, my God. See, I went down a rabbit hole. Good. Um, So tribe comes directly from the Latin tribus or tribus, uh, one of the three political or ethnic divisions of the original Roman state. So Hmm. you have tree or tri, meaning three, and potentially b, which is root of the verb be. So an early form of the word to be. Right. Or some other people talked about treb, meaning a dwelling. But I find the other one more compelling. Tree, tri, yeah. for three, and be, to be. So three beings. And I think that this um, origin in the word tribus um, or tribe right. points to how tribute became um, a form of submission among groups of people. So it's not, or classes of people. Um, so what were the three, I was oh, about to say three tribes. The three, but, yeah. Well, that's what they said on the, or three ethnic mean, divisions. Ethnic divisions. Yeah. Uh, Romnus, Lucerus, and the one that makes me giggle, Titus or Titius. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to look up the right way to say it, and that's the closest I could come. <laughs> okay, okay. But bottom line, there's an ethnic division broken right. into three parts. Right. Or three separate groups, you right. could say. Yeah. So three beings, tri, be. Yeah. And then goes into tributus, which is becomes tribute. And then over time, so from coercively paying goods or money, valuables, for protection and or submission, that softens to become a gift or an offering, and then eventually a figurative, uh, non-concrete giving someone an honor, honoring someone. Hmm. It's kind of a wild trajectory. Yeah. And I guess just based on changes in history, I mean, um, like, I mean, based on my research with uh, homage, you know, that feudal system uh, state kind of broke down. Um, but of course, there's a lot of still hierarchy um, and class structure that exists. But I guess we've just decided to soften the use of that word anyway. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, in, in modern day, in modern day use, um, there probably is somewhere in which you could use, um, like a context in which you could use it that way still. And they probably taxes, taxes. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying, um, but specifically use of that word, I guess. But I guess that would be the same meaning in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they, probably nation states threw away the use of tribute as uh, as it became more and more desirable to become democracies or at least democracy seeming. Yeah, and I, I just thought of something that, you know, a word that eventually has a pretty negative connotation, 
you know, society will want to get rid of it or change it. Uh, you know, maybe everybody started kind of having that. Um, I don't know. As society changed, they don't want to think about that word mm-hmm. in that way. So either like replace it or, or, or change the meaning or soften the meaning. Yeah. And I think it's um, also really, um, it's significant that we talk about the meaning and the practice of both homage and tribute uh, in the 1500s, late 1500s, possibly 1600s, because then we're talking about um, the Enlightenment and changes to both people's uh, relationships with God start happening, people's relationships with monarchies, with knowledge. Uh, all those things start to happen around that time. So if we, if and or when we continue to do this, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of shifts in the meanings of words right around that time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Mike, your host of Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. We'll talk about the history and origin of words in English. If you're coming over from the English sessions, well, then I'll give you an even bigger welcome, loyal listener. The English sessions is the podcast I've been doing for a while now for English learners and and is where Get the Word was first conceived. I decided to make Get the Word its own podcast since I started to realize I was making content more for native speakers with these etymology episodes, which seemed to warrant its own feed. Don't worry, though. For those of you who are English learners, there will still be transcripts of the episodes on the website. Look for details in the show notes. Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Mike here. I want to pause for a moment to talk about how you can help the English sessions to continue. If you'd like to support the English sessions, then please go to anchor.fm slash the English sessions. There, you can click on the support button and make a monthly contribution to the English sessions to keep this podcast going. You can support the English sessions for less than one U.S. dollar. Every bit helps. Also, remember, go to www.englishsessionswithmike.com if you are interested in private lessons with me, Mike. Thank you all for supporting this podcast. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that specific period uh, because, well, okay, before I get into what uh, the rest of that I have, do you have more to say about tribute? Uh, no, I think that's basically it. Okay, and, and maybe what I have to say will trigger something um, that, that you've researched, but um, that specific so that website that I use, edamonline.com, also mentioned uh, a use of this word as a verb. And so I was so curious, you know, because like in modern you know, usage, we never see uh, a, a use of, as a verb. And it's very, it was a very specific date. It says 1590s. And I was thinking about that time, like what was happening at that time? That was the time that um, Shakespeare was alive, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to like, what I wonder... You know, he had such an impact on, on um, you know, the language that I wonder if he was playing with the word, you hmm. know, or but I couldn't find a use of uh, homage as a verb from uh, Shakespeare. So I've tried to find the earliest uh, use of it 
as a verb that I could that that I could you know that I was able to research. And let me see, I'll pull it up. So this is from the School of Patience by Jeremiah Drexel from 1640. And you might have huh. to look at my computer screen here because I it's hard to read. Um, you know how um, S's kind of look like big F's back then. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to read um, the writing, but it's it says this. But I, alas, being conscious of my own weakness, give way and yield and fix hundred times in a day. Do I homage and obey? Hmm. Right? Do hmm. I f- f- fix hundred times in a day? Do I homage and obey? That would be its use as a verb. I homage. Right. 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 Um, and then there's uh, obey. It almost looks like there's like a little. Um, what's the dash when you split up a word and and the and the, le- the rest of the word goes in the hyphen. Hyphen. <laughs> Thank you. A hyphen. It, it, it does look. I know. I'm an English teacher. It does look like. It does look like a a hyphened word, but then on the next page there's S or F A N S E. Or obeyance. Wait, here, come take a look at okay. it if you can. Okay. We'll pause. Okay. You see that word? Obeisance? Yeah, obeisance isn't a word. So I I don't know. We must be reading that it is wrong obeyance. or something. It is it's Obeyance, maybe. Yeah, no, it's obeisance. Because look, adversary. Yeah. To my mighty adversary. But maybe it's not a hyphen. Um I don't know. So that's debatable. <laughs> and so I found another one from uh, 18, uh, 1850, and it comes from uh, theological liter- the Theological and liter- Literary Journal, Volume 2. Um, and again, this might not be a use as a verb. It's, I, I can't decide. Talking about God, it says, For the views he expresses and enforces in his government— of his title to homage as the majesty of heaven and earth or to homage as the majesty of heaven and earth. Let me read that again. Um, Referring to God, uh, for the views he expresses and enforces in his government of his title to homage as the majesty of heaven and earth. So, I don't think that's a use of the infinitive to homage, um, or or is it? <laughs> it's I'm kind of, confused. I know, and we don't have context, and I, I don't want to get too much into this uh, um, religious text and mention some words that I know are not, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but right. um, bottom line... There is some sort of history as a verb, but it's it was hard for me, really hard for me to to find. So there is a history of it as a verb. Uh, I believe so, at least according to etymonline.com, the online etymology dictionary. A uh, great resource. I have a few other things that I want to mention, um, including just some some text from uh, this great course uh, lumen learning course you ever hear of lumen mm-hmm. so this is, this is an ad hmm? is this I know an ad sponsor us. <laughs> so the structure of the feudal state in england i wanted to see i wanted to just research what was going on in england uh at the time and so i'm just going to read this and it's about um the vassalage and feudalism so feudalism in 12th century england was among the better structured and established systems in Europe at the time, the king was the absolute owner of the land of the feudal system, and all nobles, knights, and other tenants termed vassals merely held land from the king, who was thus at the top of the feudal pyramid. Below the king in the feudal pyramid was a tenant-in-chief, generally in the form of a baron or knight who was a vassal of the king. So everybody was a vassal. Um, Holding from the tenant-in-chief was a mesne, M-E-S-N-E, tenant, generally a knight or baron who was sometimes a tenant-in-chief in their capacity as holder of other fiefs. Below the mesne uh, tenant, further mesne tenants could hold from each other in series. So it seems to be just going lower and lower, um, but the king being 
the ultimate owner of all the land, but then like everything was tiered below that. Um, so everybody was, uh, in a sense, almost everybody was a vassal uh, who was below the king. Um, so no wonder that this word is still, you know, it held on uh, in the English language for so long. I mean, it had to have been a pretty important word. Um, but I just want to describe a little bit more of the ceremony, too. So before a lord could uh, grant lands to someone, he had to make that person a vassal. And this was done in a form of... Uh, in a formal and symbolic ceremony called a commendation ceremony, which was composed of the two-part act of homage and the oath of fealty. Uh, We've already been covering a lot. Maybe I'll just say, I don't know what that is, but (laughs) fealty. Uh, um, Uh, Faithfulness or loyalty. Loyalty. Okay, so, I mean, very similar because homage was the... A way of, of showing loyalty. Anyway, during homage, the the lord and vassal entered into a contract in which the vassal promised to fight for the lord at his command, while the lord agreed to protect the vassal from external forces. Whew! So very interesting. Now, like every time I hear that word, I'm going to picture that kind of um, structure. Um, okay. And I already said the figurative sense in the way that we use it now uh, from the 14th century, late 14th century. Um, and I just wanted to end on something from the New York Times. Uh, I see you uh, typing away and looking up s- stuff over there, so I-, I have a feeling you have some more to say. Uh, do you want to mention what you were... Yeah, okay. I'm, so I'm just looking up some stuff. Um, first of all, you said 14th century, but I think you meant 15th century or 16th century? The modern-day usage? Yeah. Well, no, according to my lo- notes, it says... Um, that um, the figurative sense, uh-huh. closer to how we use it now, is from the late 14th century. When oh, I mentioned, wow. interesting, yeah, okay. er, and w- I mentioned the 1590s before because that's when that's the first earliest recording of it as a verb. And I was wondering if I had to do with any of the uh, playwrights or writers at the time fooling around with the language, right? But I couldn't find any. Well, so what I was looking up is, oh god, this is going to get into such a rabbit hole. Hey, well, we're already you half have... an hour, 40 minutes oh in, God. so we might as well... <laughs> I hope you edit a lot of this out, because no, there's a lot of... I don't I don't plan to. Really? I think okay. it's good. Okay. Um, so 1450s, mid-1400s, you have the print, printing press, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, around that time, you start to have the Reformation, uh, the rise of Protestantism, um, which fundamentally changes Western man's, <laughs> using those words very purposefully, relationship with God, mm. um, kind of cutting out the middleman, so to speak, right? So you're no longer play- paying, say, tribute to the Catholic Church. If you're Protestant, you are communing more directly. Both of these developments allow the person to commune more directly with God. Mm. Um, and as this develops over time, you get the rise of secularism um, and the move away from uh, like these centralized locations as sacred spaces, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Mm. Um, but what you can see then is like it's kind of uh, power is dispersing from these hierarchical organizations that have historically um, relied on ceremony and material wealth to bind people to them. Um, And around that time, so this last thing I was looking up was feudalism, which also starts to disintegrate, I believe, in the 16th century-ish. And from what I'm seeing, and also what I'm remembering from like eighth grade history or something, (laughs) uh, is that it starts to disintegrate um, because it becomes more and more possible to have centralized powers. Wow. So like empires, again, as opposed to feudal states, which are these kind of more dispersed, um, smaller city states or nation states. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'm just, my point is that not just playwrights, but a whole swath of cultural and social changes and technological changes prompting a shift in how a word is used. I wanted to 
uh, mention a couple more things. I have some information from uh, a New York Times article. Um, back in 2010, there was, I think it was a question um, that was posed to uh, this writer, Ben Zimmer, about the word homage. Um, he says, a few years ago on the radio, I was jolted to hear this word pronounced homage, a real stomach turner. Since then, I've heard a real stomach turner. How dramatic, right? <laughs> I should put some dramatic music behind this. Uh, let me read that again. Maybe you um, should put dramatic yet music behind it like it's a review. I know. A few years ago on the radio, I was jolted to hear this word pronounced homage, a real stomach turner. Since then, I've heard this pronunciation fairly frequently on the radio and occasionally on television. Are the broadcast folks cooking up a new pronunciation? Or do they intend some other word than homage? Um, I thought that was kind of pretentious. And like, I mean, language (laughs) is always changing. I mean, that's what I think about all the time. And it's it's, sometimes it's hard to explain to my students, you know, because they want to learn English. And I, I... I don't know. I've let's say certain things that I hear from my Chinese students, uh, or my Brazilian students, or I think a better example is my European students. Um, eventually, if enough learners are speaking that way, it's going to become part of the language, and we're going to see huge shifts. I think in the English language, if it stays as the language of, of you know global language of of communication, business communication, and travel. Um. I have a confession to make. What? It's so embarrassing. So embarrassing. What? I only knew homage until you started talking about homage a few weeks ago. Right. Okay. So, I mean, so, but like, <laughs> and you're, I mean, that's a perfect example. You're a native English speaker. Um. So, I mean, how could you say that's wrong? I, I guess this person is claiming like, why is that they want to know why this is uh you know becoming more prevalent in in the culture i guess and so um ben zimmer he talks a little bit about um homage and homage and i don't feel like getting into that um so yes sometimes the h is is pronounced but what i what i found interesting is is this part he says the shifting status uh, of homage is further muddied by the modish French influenced version, and I had to look up modish too. Have you ever heard that word? Or it might be modish. Modish sounds better, but modish, okay, both pronunciations in Oxford, modish or modish, conforming to or following what is currently popular and fashionable. Oh, so yeah. trendy. Okay. Uh, bottom line. Okay, the shifting status of homage is further muddied by the modish French influenced version homage. Strictly speaking, that pronunciation ought to be limited to artistic context where the French word homage uh, or homage. Yeah, the French word homage. He's saying that is the French way to say it or closer to it has been reintroduced into English as a term for a work that respectfully emulates that of another artist. Something similar happened with the word artur, artur. Um, which cinephiles borrowed from French to refer to directors with distinctive styles, even though the word had already entered the lexicon centuries ago as author. That is a really good uh, um, comparison. I I don't necessarily feel like this guy is um, the authority. I don't know. Or how could one person just be the authority... to say like this should this should this ought to be limited to artistic context. Well, but I think that that is almost exclusively how I've heard the word homage, which I'm going to just hold on to. Um, and then in my head, it just bled over to um, other uses of the word. So primarily, if I heard someone saying it out loud, oh yeah, this is an homage to Picasso or whatever. Um, but what about pay homage? That sounds strange to me. Just Right. Now that we that... are talking about it, it sounds strange to me. But in my head, you know how you like pronounce things in your head, even though you have no idea if it's actually right mm-hmm. and you stumble over it if you actually try to articulate it out loud. Right. But I think that that is probably part of the process of words bleeding and blending. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, the homage pronunciation is gaining a foothold beyond the, the arts world, and for some, that's a cause for alarm. Uh, well, first of all, I will admit that I don't know who this guy um, uh, Ben Zimmer is. Maybe maybe he's a... Uh, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on words? Someone who studies Lex... Yeah. Etymologist? Yeah, yeah. A, a linguist. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe he's a linguist or a... Um, um, an etymologist is that a, a real someone thing has to, study? to be one right so, okay so i don't know his background but i mean he's definitely acting as an authority here in the matter he's a linguist yeah lexico lexicographer <laughs> and language commentator like that's the word i was looking oh, for lexicographer. lexicographer okay um okay so he is an authority on the matter i guess but I still feel like these kind of um, statements, like um, saying that something ought to be or something should be used this way, uh, I don't know. Like maybe. Well, now you're getting into social politics. I am. I am. And so, gatekeepers. Okay. <laughs> but this is what he says. Um, the homage pronunciation is getting a foothold beyond the arts world. And for some, that's a cause for alarm. In his book, The Accidents of Style, Charles Harrington Elster calls this a preposterous de-anglicization that is becoming fashionable among the literati. <laughs> Elster has previously complained that good old homage was losing out to homage in havens for the better educated like National Public Radio. And for defenders of the H pronunciation, homage just adds insult to injury. So I think he means the H homage he wrote the h pronunciation homage and he's writing it out phonetically homage i know but the with emphasis on maj without he writes homage phonetically without an h oh okay a check of npr's audio archives uh, corroborates elster's hunch listening to 10 recent uses of the word homage by on the air personalities i found an even split Five for homage and five for homage, with the latter generally generally reserved for the respect meaning, as in pay homage. I, I would argue that, um, what's the term, collocations? Like, when just you see two words together or more than one word together, that it becomes a pattern that people get used to. I would argue that maybe some of the difference in pronunciation is just the other words that you're using with it. Because um, he, I mean, he just says... Um, he says it's because we're using it um, when we say that we're we're using it as a way to show respect, but then he gives you a specific example, pay homage. And still, in my head, pay homage sounds really strange. Um, I, for me, it's more just the pairing of those two words. But anyway, the homage pronunciation, meanwhile, seems to be losing out to its trendier, H-less rivals. Oh, the... the <laughs> My bad. He did write this phonetically. The homage pronunciation, meanwhile, seems to be losing out to its trendier H-less rivals, despite the protestations of traditionalists. Uh, protestations, I meant to say. This is getting so confusing. <laughs> despite the protestations of traditionalists. And since it's a fight of two against one, a homage may over time become increasingly rare. I'm going to just say it, and maybe you should edit it out, but all this sounds just like a Make America Great Again argument about language. Yeah, I, th- I feel like it kind of smacks but of that. But I'm pretty sure they'd be real angry at me and this for is, this likening from the New York that. Times. <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah. But a purity argument about language also kind of takes me back to that horrific ebo- uh, ebonics movement, you know, where people yeah. are like, oh, yeah. that's ebonics, blah, 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 and like the kind of fetishization and separation of forms of English and othering of yeah. forms of English. Yeah. 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 But maybe you should edit that No, No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, I, honestly, I, 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 I don't censor myself. Um, but it, I... Agree. I think that you probably have um, m- more well-formed uh, 
thoughts and opinions on that <laughs> because of your background. But yeah, I mean, something about that, I couldn't read it without having that kind of, uh, f- without filtering it through that, that, that same kind of um, idea. Um, I, I couldn't just read it without automatic. And this is, this guy's supposed to be um, a well, you know, uh, someone who obviously well is well respected enough to write for the New York Times magazine, um, but anyway, uh, everyone listening, it's interesting sent, information. It is, yeah. and it is, and I I would imagine honestly the homage pronunciation. Um, I mean to use words like trendy, like, and to me it feels like it's going more back just back to its roots, and I don't see what's wrong with that because if this is from an old French word. Um, originally, um, like we talked about, you know, Middle English from Old French from mid- and then older from that from med- Medieval Latin, um, that H would be silent, right, in the French pronunciation. And of course, and then they talked about homage would be closer to the French pronunciation. Okay. So I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, I mean, I think this all circles back to a point you made before to kind of an offhand comment, though, about the globalization of language um, and especially of English as kind of the go-to language for business uh, and communications for better or for worse. Um, But then obviously it's not, it's, it's a feedback loop, right? Like other languages and other speakers, like you had said, will influence um, how we speak, including homage, hum, homages. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's a good a good place to end. I don't have anything else. No, me neither. Uh, uh, very good points. Beaten this horse to death. Okay, well, <laughs> if anybody else feels that we can beat it even more, write into the podcast, Mike at English Sessions with Mike.com, uh, the website, English Sessions with Mike.com. We're on uh, Facebook. Uh, Alexandra is uh, kind of in charge of the Instagram because I have no idea how to how to use it properly. Um, and you can reach me on WhatsApp uh, through Facebook. It's an interesting uh, feature that they have. And I'm on Twitter. And uh, more content, much more things to look at on the website, www.englishsessionswithmike.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Want to say goodbye? Bye. Bye. Bye.